you're listening to How I See It, hosted by Han. You guessed it, that's me. I am here to motivate and inspire you with guests from all different industries and backgrounds. So get ready for personal stories of success, of growth, full of highs and lows, and of course, unapologetic realness. This is How I See It. People call me Ollie Katz, you know, like people love, we talked about Everything. this offline where people call you Han, you know, it's like, yeah, it's, I'm like, whatever works, but yeah, no, it's Ollie Katz. Yeah, exactly. My, my last name is Wante, but okay. with an H. Yeah. And oh my gosh, my entire childhood, people were like, Huante, Haunte, Haunted. I'm like, here we are. Like, yeah. Apparently that's my it. name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. You guys, this is Allie Cates. She is a trauma recovery nervous system regulation coach. Her mission, I got this from your site and I think it's so good. So I wanted to share her. Her mission is to teach individuals how to gain authority over their life and their emotions by helping them heal from emotional pain, trauma, and limited beliefs. So good. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's so fun. And I love that we're both Toreros. We're both USD. Oh my gosh. I know. We <laughs> chatted before this episode and we realized we are both USD alums. Hello. I love, love that. that. I love that. I love that. Okay. Let's dive right in. I wanted you on to just tell your story one, because you have such a powerful, inspiring story and two, to just talk more about just the healing journey and mental health and how to navigate it. So let's just dive right in as much as you're willing to share. We keep it real here. Yeah. Like, where did this start for you? Like, how did you get into even wanting to be a coach? Like, did you grow up in San Diego? I can't even remember what you told me. No, I grew up in Northern California, like way up by like Placerville. Do you know where that is? Like, <laughs> no. <up by> your- <laughs> oh yeah, no one really does. I grew up in a really small town called Shingle Springs. It was like population 10,000 growing up, like very small. My parents got divorced at 15, moved to the Bay Area. So I say I'm from the Bay Area, but like originally from Shingle Springs. So all of this started for me was when I was 22, I was fresh out of college, like just moved home with my then boyfriend, now husband, like everything on paper looked perfect. Like literally parents had just bought us a home. Like I was driving a new car, like everything that you think could have looked perfect was perfect. Right. And I was having this really big mental health breakdown. And I remember specifically, like I couldn't even it felt like my skin was crawling. Like, I don't know how else to describe it, but um, my husband and I lost three people in nine and a half months. And this really triggered, yeah, it triggered all this pain that I had suppressed from my childhood and really disassociated from. So we're in this brand new home. And I remember just being like, I think I was in between jobs too. So everything was just kind of like chaotic. You're post-grad, which is also chaotic, right? Yeah. And I had tried, you know, CBT, EMDR, hypnotherapy, brain rewiring, like talk therapy, all these kinds of things for my mental health and nothing really seemed to move the needle. And they would always say like, Allie, you're just really scrappy. Like you're a scrappy motherfucker. So like you're good. Like you're using all these tools and techniques. So like, I really don't think you need my support anymore. And I was still like, Mm. no, I do. I remember even at USD going to talk therapy because I had so much anxiety all the time, but I was so disassociated from the trauma that happened to me until these three deaths happened and just the grief brought up all of this pain, right? So then kind of fast forward to this moment and I'm like at my lowest low having suicidal ideation and I call, I remember seeing like a trauma, like something around trauma in our town, our small town. And I called this number because I was like, maybe that's what I have. Like 
maybe that's what it is. And I'm just so disconnected yeah. from it. Cause I'm like, I haven't been to war. Um, I was raped at 15, but like, didn't associate that as trauma at this point in my life. And so I called this guy and he was like, you know, you're not, and I'm telling him what's happening. And he's like, you know, you're not going to believe me, but that's called trauma. And he's like, you're experiencing complex PTSD. That point alone is so powerful because a lot of times I feel like, especially like the older generation associates trauma with just like PTSD in regard to like war or like Mm -hmm. really intense things in that regard. And not the fact that like emotional abuse can be trauma in your case, like actual sexual trauma. Like there are other things that can manifest into PTSD. And so it's really interesting that you were faced with that. And I never like, that's such a good point, right? Because back then I was like, there was no way, right? Like I still didn't believe that even though when we talk about like big T traumas, we talk about like rape and we talk about car accidents and we talk about, um, war. Right. But I still was like, Oh, like this thing happened, but it wasn't really that bad or like I'm fine. And like my life is really great on paper. So there's no way that I could have PTSD. And I just kept on dismissing it in such a big way, but my body and my nervous system was telling me otherwise in like a really, really big way. Right. So kind of like fast forward, I'm with this guy for, you know, three and a half, four years of like really intense trauma recovery. And it's when it's clicking that I'm, that he's like, I've been doing this for 40 years. Right. And he specifically was working with just veterans, but then he saw that like everyday civilians have PTSD. Right. Yeah. And I know that like PTSD is such a like trendy thing right now on TikTok and everything, but it's real. Like people have it and it, and it like, it's still so stigmatized too. Mm -hmm. Um, And so as I'm getting deeper in this work, he's like, you know, you have developmental trauma, complex PTSD and all these things. And as I'm starting to like live in my body more, because I was so disconnected from my body, I was so disassociated from my body and all the pain, all of these memories are coming back in a really big way. And then, so we're like around the time when my husband and I were three weeks out from getting married and I get diagnosed with late stage Lyme and a couple of other chronic illnesses, like five other uh, autoimmune chronic illnesses. And I'm like crashed. Like I'm like, oh, I know enough about trauma and how it's stored in the body that I know that my nervous system is like, F you. You've kept me in fight or flight for your entire life. And so now here are all these things that I've been suppressing, right? Because when trauma is stored in the body, it manifests in either autoimmune disease or um, other chronic illness like cancer, right? Like we know oh, this. Yeah. There are studies on this, right? So I knew that people talk about stress all the time and that like stress is bad for you. It shows up in different ways. So then we come home from our honeymoon. I sit in an IV room. I have a port put in my chest. I treat Lyme disease for nine and a half months. I'm like wow. in the IV room three to four times a week, six to eight hours a day, sometimes five days a week. And I'm getting sicker and sicker. And there's a point where I end up in the emergency room with the beginning of sepsis. And it's like, it's my breaking point. And I remember telling wow. my husband, yeah. Like I remember telling my husband, I'm like, this is building me up to bring me to the person I'm supposed to be. So, you know, my business was built from the Ivy room. Cause I listened to a lot of people and the resounding thought was that people need a place to process their grief and their trauma, which I heard already known because we've you know, fast or fast forward, we lose seven people in two and a half years. And I just knew I wanted to be in this space, but I never knew how it was going to come to fruition. I thought I was going to be like 40 or 50 and like retired. And then I was going to like help people, but the universe had a different plan. 
I mean, so many things that we could talk about from the story. I think first off, like you say it all the time. My therapist says it all the time. Like the body keeps score and like people don't take that seriously. They don't realize that your body holds on to so much trauma, anger, resentment, and that builds up in sickness in like so many different ways. For me, I feel like I'm only 26. So thank God, like I didn't end up getting sick, but I was so depressed. I was so anxious. I was holding on to so much trauma from my childhood. And then like, just became a pro disassociator. Like I thought that like everything was cool. I feel like I still joke about it now. Like I'll be in Pilates class and I'm like, I need to disassociate. Like you're yes, Hannah. Yeah. Like pull back. (laughs) But in all seriousness, like I realized and I had this triggering moment in college where like my boyfriend broke up with me and it like wasn't even that big of a deal. But the, the trauma of that rejection just became this like domino effect And I started to like relive a lot of the stuff I had gone through that I had kind of been putting on the back burner. And I felt like I was kind of like losing my mind a little bit. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Like you kind of feel like you're having like a bit of a manic episode. Like you're kind of going crazy because you've been disassociating for so long and you're like feeling all of this. Like you said, like the skin crawly thing, like I know what you're talking about. Like you feel icky. Like it's just like an ick. I remember like going to see my coach. I call her my therapist, but she's really not normally trained therapist, like more of like into the nervous system and deregulating and that kind of stuff. But I remember her just telling me like, if you do not work with me through this stuff, like you will get sick. Like you're going to get sick. You're holding on to so much in your body. And I remember like as our healing and therapy continued and I just started to just unload a lot of the stuff I had been holding on to, like I felt so much lighter. I felt so much better. And that's not in my head. Like my body's literally having releases from the nervous system. I mean, but that's the thing is like disassociation is a survival technique, right? So if you watch an animal out in the wild get bit and like held in a lion's, like if you saw, see like a, I don't know, like a tiger grab a bunny rabbit, the bunny rabbit's going to play dead and disassociate because it's getting ready. It's it's in survival, right? Yeah. And this is what happens when people are in survival, you disassociate. So I always tell people, cause there's a lot of shame that comes online when they start getting back in their body. And I always tell people I'm like, this kept you alive. Like it kept mm-hmm. you going. It kept you doing what you could do. And so, I mean, disassociation is there for a reason, right? It's yeah. to, to survive. Yeah. We talked about it in my last episode, my best friend came on and she's very much into what we're talking about as well. And we were talking about like the ego does what it's supposed to do and needs to do. And there comes to a point where you need to face it and you need to Mm -hmm. take ownership of your own, you know, journey. And you do so many posts on that. But first off, I want to start out by like, just you explaining a little bit for dummies, like about the nervous system. Maybe someone's listening right now and has no idea what we're talking about. Like, how does that even make sense? Like, how does the nervous system yeah. hold on to trauma? Like, how do you explain it to your clients? Because I know you're a yeah. coach and you do one-on-one coaching. Yeah. So the way that I like to explain it is this gentleman named Peter Levine who wrote the book, Waking the Tiger, which if you haven't read, it's a great Ooh. book on, yeah, he is the one that uh, he started somatic experiencing. So that's who I'm training through. But he explains it like this, and I don't know if you're releasing the video, but I'm going to try and describe it. So it's essentially in a circle. So at the top, you have a trigger, right? And then you go into fight or flight, and then you go into a discharge, and then you go into rest and digest, which everyone's like, parasympathetic, rest and digest. This is where you heal, which is true. There's more to that, but like, let's keep it in basic terms, right? Uh huh. Most people go trigger, fight or flight, 
trigger, fight or flight. And they never complete this stress cycle or trauma cycle, whatever you want to call it. Right. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, when they keep on going from trigger to fight or flight, they build this emotional charge, which then is stored in your body, which then dysregulates your nervous system. Right. So that's why when you have this high of emotional charge, you'll react to small things in a really big way. Someone says Mm. something to you, a door slams, someone cuts you off on the freeway and you're having this really big emotional reaction to something that is, should be small. Like when you're regulated and I can feel this, I know you can feel this too, right? Like when you're coming from a place of regulation, things just don't get you the same way because you're like, oh, I have enough tolerance or capacity to handle these harder things. Right. Totally. So, you know, the other ways for all like my visual learner learners out there is like, imagine that this is what I explain to people. It's like, imagine you're a bunny rabbit out in the wild and there's a coyote over your right shoulder and the branch breaks. And so that's the, the trigger. Right. And so you run away as a bunny rabbit. You're running, 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 running. That's the fight or flight. Right. Then the bunny rabbit finally gets to a place where it can like discharge and it's safe and it knows that it's safe. So it discharges and then it goes into rest and digest, probably like takes a nap, eats something and it's in parasympathetic again. Right. So this gentleman, Peter Levine studied animals out in the wild and was like, how come prey specifically are not traumatized? And this is why is because they complete this full stress cycle and they move the emotional charge out of their body. Wow. Because I mean, I have this conversation a lot with people that like a huge part of my journey was like really rewiring my brain in a sense of like kind of what you're talking about, which is just being like very hyper aware of like my reactions to things. I feel like I was always that person that was like really overly sensitive and angry and upset to like little things that like really didn't make sense. But to me, they were like, life and death. Like, how do you not understand what I'm talking about? How do you not understand why this is so offensive? But like through a lot of self-reflection and just like really, you know, looking in the mirror, I realized like, this is why I react this way. Like, this is why I'm overly sensitive. This is why this happens. And once you kind of like lean into, you know, kind of what you're talking about, which is like learning more about how trauma is stored in the body, talking through your trauma and really working on new ways to like rewire your habits. Like once you start doing that and practicing, which is no easy feat, but you know, nothing this serious is, I feel like you can kind of like pull yourself out a little. And if you're regulated, like you said, you can be like, this is not like, this is not me. Like, this is not how I want to react. Like, this is just like a past trigger and trauma response. Like this person's not trying to upset me. This situation is not a big deal. And you can start to kind of be the observer a bit. Yeah, for sure. And I think too, is like the thing about trauma is that you can't talk it. You can't just talk through it, right? You have to like move it out of your body. So that's why talk about that. Yeah. Talk about that more. So like, yeah, I mean like, and this is my thing on therapy too, right? Which is that it's a top-down approach, which means it starts with the brain, right? When you have trauma, let's just take anxiety, for example, because I feel like everyone has felt anxiety. Where's the first place you feel it? I don't know. My chest, I feel like. Right. My stomach. Yes. The gut. Most, yeah. Most people, it's like chest or stomach, and then it's yeah. head, and then you start spiraling yeah. in your thoughts, right? That's yeah. a great example of like, you can't out talk that. You have to move that emotional charge out of your body. So something for me is like, I was going to all these therapists. I was doing, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and EMDR, right? And like 
brain rewiring and all these things, neuroplasticity and and like they weren't moving the emotional charge out. And that's because trauma is stored in the body, not the brain. Like we can outthink stuff all the time. And I always tell people, I'm like, if we could outthink our trauma, all of us would, because we're always stuck in our brain. And that's my thing about therapy is that, you know, my message is if you are in talk therapy and you're still feeling that itchy feeling, like there's something in your body that needs to move out, you're not wrong. Because that was my experience is people were like, you're scrappy. You get it. You're using all the tools and techniques. And I still wasn't having this big like release that I knew that my body needed. Like our bodies are so dang smart if we give them the space to heal. And so that's why I say like talk therapy doesn't always work, especially for trauma. And especially if you're not with someone that is trauma informed or knows how to work with the somatic system in the body, like you have to look for someone that knows how to do that because you can't out talk it. Like it's not a, it's not a brain thing. It's a body thing. What does that look like? Could you give us an example of like what kind of work you would do in that way to like help release some of that like trauma and negative energy from the body? Yeah. There's so many different ways, right? It's like a one-on-one kind of case thing, but I mean, somatic experiencing can be really great if you're coming in. Like, for example, I had a couple clients today where we're just starting to work out and they're like, I say this, like their nervous system is charged up to here. So we can't even like put a drop of water in or else they're going to blow up. Right. Mm -hmm. So like somatic experiencing would be good where we're like working with the nervous system that is more talk based. We're trying to help you get in your body. Most people, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, from what I'm picking up on with your like coach therapist is like most people that have never lived in their body for them to live in their body for five seconds is really painful. Like it's a really deep awakening, scary thing because you yeah. live so disconnected from your body that you're like, oh my God, this isn't my body. Or then you go into shame spiral or all the things because you haven't lived there, right? Yeah. So that's where like somatic experiencing can be really helpful. Could you really quickly define somatic experience just for dummies, for people who have never even heard this word? I hate to say dummies, but I just no, love yeah. when I was when I was little, I always like noticed those books, the yellow books, yes. like something for dummies. So I always yes. say it now and I'm like, that's probably not PC to say now, but I just like have that memory. No, of, it's like, so good. Can you just explain it? Somatic experience for dummies, what yes. exactly it is so people yeah. can understand. So somatic experiencing, like we use this term kind of broadly, but the gentleman that I spoke about earlier, Peter Levine is the one who came up with it. And it's working with your somatic, which just means body. So it's working with your body. And somatic experiencing is like a type of way to work with your body. So similar to how you have like cognitive behavioral therapy or EMDR, it's just, it's a form of trauma recovery. Right. Okay. So I don't know if you've heard of like TRE, which is like trauma release exercises, kind of stuff that you see on TikTok, like the hip shaking and the yeah like yoga poses and stuff like that, that like you'll start to like, you can release some of that built up charge. So it's yeah. just a body experience, right? And you're doing that by facilitating different things in your client's body and nervous system, which I know sounds really heady, but that's like one technique that I use in my coaching practice. Another one is doing like myofascial release technique, which is where you're actually like moving the charge out of the body. So your fascia can hold up to a thousand pounds of emotional charge. Wow. So when you release that, you're getting people that are like screaming, punching, throwing up. Like you're getting people that are having this really big reaction because 
their body has stole has held on to so much emotional charge. Wow. That was the thing that like changed the game for me early on in trauma recovery because I was using all of these like cognitive tools almost as like armoring. Like I was like, oh, I know exactly what's happening, but nothing yeah. was changing. I feel like we're similar. Like I feel like yes. we've intellectualized a lot of things. Everything. I feel like I'm self-aware enough to where I can be like, I feel like this because of this and because of this yes. and because this yeah. happened. And I know that I now need to take responsibility for this. And I know this to be true, but I feel like sometimes you just can't shake it. Like, you know, because yeah. I'm very good at like, even when I have a trigger now, I feel like I've been in this, like, I'll call it healing journey for like almost five years now, like four, four or five years. And so I feel like I, I have like a good rap, like rap on like self-aware, like aware triggers. And yeah. like, I know yeah. why things are happening, but I feel like I, and I have a good practice of being like, okay, this is happening. And like, I know this to be true. So like, I can get myself out, but it's hard because you're like, why is my body still reacting to this thing that I know is not, I'll use the word real. Like I, it's not, I don't have to deal with this, but I can't let it go. And I love that you're talking about this. Cause I feel like not a lot of people explain it or they'll like throw it out on TikTok and they don't really like teach people what it even means. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's like a, I think because so many things, like I just got flooded with so many thoughts about TikTok, but I digress. We can talk but- <laughs> about that. I was actually going to, that's one There's of the questions. <laughs> that's one of the questions I have for you too is, and maybe you can touch on that, like how you feel about like all of this, people talking about all this stuff on TikTok. Cause I have my opinion on it for sure. Mm-hmm. I feel a lot of things, which is that I feel the first thing is that it's becoming more, there's more awareness, which is beautiful because yeah. if, you know, before TikTok and before COVID people, we, when I would say like, I'm starting a, a mental health, you know, coaching company. And they're like, no one needs that. Like that was literally the response. Right. And now it's like, oh my God, everyone's like, you must be so busy. This is exactly (laughs) what people need. Right. Like, so it's really interesting just the change in that. And I really do attribute that to because people are talking about it on TikTok and they're making it more accessible, which is beautiful. Like that's a great thing. But I think people underestimate how hard it is because they're seeing it on TikTok and they're like, well, if you just do this, then I'll be fine. And then they like save it for a rainy day. Mm-hmm. And it's like when you're in intense trauma recovery or mental health recovery, like it is not all like roses. It's, I'm not sure it's any roses. I mean, maybe you can yeah. get them at the end of like a little, I call them chapters, like the realizing chapters. You like realize a new like fucking trigger or trauma. You work through it for a while. And then at the end of the chapter, you're like, okay, like maybe yeah. you get the rose then. But yeah. like, oh my gosh, like the healing journey is like such a fucking bitch. Like for lack of a better yeah. word, like it yeah. sucks. It's so hard. It's very rewarding. And I think that, and we've, I've talked about this on the podcast before, like it truly is so difficult and hard, but it's harder in my opinion to stay like in the other, which is not doing anything, but like people, you're right. Like I, the way people talk about it on TikTok, it's like, it's this like almost trendy thing. And I agree with you. I'm so glad people like are giving a shit about their mental health. I'm so happy that people are talking about it and making it like almost cool to like work on yourself. I love that. I hate that it's coming off like, oh, you just do these three things and then it's gone. Because it's I not think there's how it a works lot of, at all. 
Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of bypassing that's happening. Like a lot of people are like, oh, well, I did this thing that I saw on TikTok. So like, I'm going to be healed and I'm fine. And then they're actually bypassing their own emotions. Right. Yeah. Because they're doing this thing or they're like kind of doing the work. And I tell my clients, I'm like, guys, less than 5% of the population that say they're doing the work are actually doing the work. Mm -hmm. Because if you're actually doing the work, like you're in a healing cocoon, which is like, you don't really want to talk to anyone at first. Like, and you're just in like this space where like you feel a little bit more sensitive. So you're not talking about it. Yeah. And that's the norm. But no one sees that because they're only seeing on TikTok like, oh, this is what it should feel like. And like now that I've been, you know, a lot of time in my own journey, it's like I'm so grateful for it. But still, there's moments where like it's hard and it's still challenging. I mean, I would like to change the word hard. It's like it's challenging. Yeah. It's like a sport sometimes. It's like exercise. Like you're re mm-hmm. I like you're rewiring, reteaching, re like learning all of these things that you've picked up because of whatever your trauma is. And like whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, you've learned a certain level of skills and like mental navigating. And like mm-hmm. to have to rechange, like to change that is no easy task. Like it's it's hard. It's so hard. Yeah. And I agree with you. Like I I kind of like I feel bad like judging someone like when I see a video like that pop up but I'm just kind of like this is so much harder than you're making it sound and it's like dedication it takes work and I've talked about it before like once you like address the healing journey and lean in like it doesn't really stop and like it's an intense choice you have to make every single day and you're right like I remember when I first started seeing my coach and like going through the beginning stages of like talking about my childhood. Like I didn't really want to talk to anybody. And I felt like I almost like disillusioned myself a bit into thinking like I can be by myself. Like I'm good. Me and my my coach, like, you know what I mean? But like I was lucky because like the beginning two, three years were like right like as COVID was approaching. So like, I feel like I had kind of like this really, um, I don't want to say cool experience because the pandemic was not cool, but like I had this cool experience where I got to kind of like fast forward a bit through mine and really push through mine because I didn't have a lot of distraction or like I was staying at home, but I get what you're saying. Like it's, it's really interesting to see the way that like society, especially on social media is taking healing in so many different directions. And there's like so many things you should be doing or shouldn't be doing. And something you talk about on your socials that I saw is that like, everyone's different. Mm -hmm. Everyone is so different. And I always tell people like, I relate it to the gym, right? Like we're going to the emotional health gym. I tell my clients this, I'm like, you come in wanting to lose 25 pounds and be buff as shit and yoked and like not yoked, but like toned. Yeah. Like you come in with a picture of what you want to be. And I'm like, we got to start with one pound. We got to get your form right. Like your nervous system, AKA nervous system. And then you can leap to five pounds, 10 pounds, 15 pounds. Right. And it's the same thing as like, after you may, after, like if anyone has ever put on muscle, it's like, it's really hard in the beginning and then you have to maintain the muscle. So it's not like you just get to this point and you put on all this muscle and you're like, great. Now I'm going to stop. It's like, now you have, now you're in maintenance mode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. It's like you, you're committed to working out, but if you stop, it's like, you're going to gain the weight back or you're going to, you know, or lose the the muscle. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Ugh. I feel like it's intense for a lot of people to hear. 
And I think mm-hmm. sometimes we listen to these, if you're listening to this podcast, you give a shit about your mental health. Like you care. Yeah. And like, I feel like anyone who listens to podcasts is like interested in learning and growing. But I think for a lot of people, like this can sound really intense and hard and it can sound harder than the alternate motive, which is to stay the same and mm-hmm. stay in their trauma or keep disassociating. Like, what do you tell people when they like want to give up or when they don't want to start this type of journey? I mean, the first thing that I would tell someone that didn't want to start this type of journey is like, well, where do you want to be? Like, what do you see your life going as? Like, honestly, and it's not coming from a place of like arrogance or anything. It's really just like, where do you see your life going? If they're like, I just want this to stay the same. I'm like, okay, like you're on your own journey, right? That's not for me to like make you all of a sudden then feel like you need to wake up to this. For people that want to give up, I will just tell you, like, the minute you want to give up, you're really on the breaking point of something. Like, there have been so many times where I'm like, I'm good. I'm done. I don't want to do this. I'm fine. I'm healed, blah, blah, blah. And then it's like, that's where I'm at the, like, precipice of something else really shifting in my life for for good, right? But I always say, like, the awakenings are painful because you cannot go back to the person that you were before them because you know. Like, you know the difference. I always joke like, oh gosh, I feel a realization coming on because it is scary and it's like uncomfortable. And especially if you are used to those, like, I don't know, you have those triggers with like not being in control or like it scares you a little to like feel like you're leaning into something that's real and true. And like, you need to realize like it can be really intense and hard. And I think that learning to like be okay with the uncomfortability a little bit is like key, but what are some like tools that people can kind of initiate when those types of like spirals start to begin? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we do a lot of like subconscious reprogramming. So I would have them kind of like write down their pattern thought and then we'd work on, you know, changing that so that they can kind of like have this new muscle. But you know, honestly, Han, like something that I have is like, I have a huge neon sign that says it's okay to not be okay. I love that. And it's in my office and it's in my office for me as well as my clients, because like there's times when I still need that reminder, right? Like it is okay to not be okay. And so I would tell people, like I tell my clients this as well is like, what's the thing that started? Why did you start this journey? Like there has to be something, right? For me, it was... I was at a breaking point. I was having suicidal ideation. Like there was, I couldn't turn this around. So I'm like, I will never, I never want to go back to that point. Like that's my, that's my thing. And it's like, you have to find that in like the storm. You have to find your true North. Like what's your true North for you? Sometimes like writing it down on a sticky note and putting it on your mirror when you're in those really low moments of like, this is why I started. And this is why I'm going to keep on going. Cause like, you know, Allie five years from now deserves more or whatever the story is that you need to hear. Yeah. I feel like I always have to remind myself, like we're all human and it's like human to not be okay and not have it together. And it's it's also wild. It's so wild. Like we are so hard on ourselves. Like everyone is like, even if you feel like you're listening and you're, you're feeling like, I don't think I've experienced like this level of trauma. Like it's all relative. Like we're all human and like everything, everyone has experienced trauma. Everyone has experienced some level of hurt and like has some type of like past that they're working through and some type of pattern they're trying to break. And it's difficult and it's hard. But I think like, especially when you've dedicated yourself to like really doing better and like wanting better for yourself, because for me, like 
I was in the same place. I was like, well, I'm down so bad. Like it can only get better. Like I'm so low that it's like, I might as well try this, you know, and see how it goes. But like, I feel like I'm like, so, so like dark about this journey. I'm like, no, but I'm the same way. Yeah. (laughs) Like it can't get any worse, you know, just like push forward. Like it can't be worse, but it's the same thing. It's like, I feel like we forget though. Like oh my gosh, like it's already so impressive that I'm even thinking about this. It's already so impressive that like I'm working, like I'm human, like stop dehumanizing yourself. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, what's so interesting. I tell, when I tell people this, like it would be weird if you're happy all the time. They're like, aren't you just supposed to be happy and like calm all the time? I'm like people that are happy and calm all the time are probably not living in their body. The ones that you think are happy and calm all the time are probably not living in their body. I was going to say, they're scary. (laughs) Those people are scary. And we've all been there. And we've We've all been been there. there. Like I was like this happy-go-lucky, bubbly, like laughed at everything girl. But really it's because I had a shit ton of resentment and pain that the only way that I felt like I could control or manage this was to be happy and go lucky. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's yeah. like, it would be weird if you're happy all the time. You're not supposed to be. That's It's an emotion. And emotions move. Something that you were talking about to me that I thought was like super powerful. And I feel like it's a good segue because of just how prominent talking about mental health is now, how many people are committed to their mental health journey, which is awesome. Like, I love it. So happy. I feel like I I get so much happiness and I'm sure this is why you do your job too. Is like, I get happy when people tell me like, oh, I listened to your episode. Like it inspired me to like look into this or when I have friends or who are like, oh my gosh, like you've inspired me to like really do some work on myself. Like that makes me so, so happy. But I do think that there's like this weird, like, I don't know, energy around the healing journey where people like make it their identity almost. Like, and I know there's like the honeymoon stage of the healing journey, right? Like I feel like everyone who's like had their moment, they're like, they just want to like never stop talking about it. And I love that. But I feel like people hold on to it too much as like a form of like, I don't know, their identity. Does that make sense? Yes, completely. I think that this is something that I've experienced and, you know, specifically when it comes to physical healing as well, right? Mm. For me, it was like, you know, sitting in an IV room and getting affirmed in this way. I was getting affirmed by people in my life that I really need them to affirm my sexual trauma that happened in a different stage of my life, right? And so it became my identity. And I see this a lot in like physical healing journeys and also um, mental healing journeys. It's like, oh, well, I have this thing. Oh, I have ADHD. This is my thing. This is my thing. This is my thing. This is my thing. And I'm like, okay, that's valid. You are allowed to totally, like, I do think that that's the first part of it is like acknowledging what it is. Yeah. But then you have to move out of it. And a large percentage of people don't want to move out of it because they're somehow getting validation that they never got from childhood, adolescent, et cetera. So glad you said that. It's like the realest, it is the realest fact about healing. And I think the, the best way to get from like the beginning stage to the next phase and like being able to really reshape your life is being able to do that. And it yeah. is really hard. Like it's I remember really hard. my personal journey, like I like could not, like I was, it was probably like a year and a half in I, and it was like intense because I was seeing this therapist coach twice a week. I felt like I was like in a really good place, 
but I could not stop venting it like it it felt like it wasn't like coaching anymore like it felt like I was just like mad and like so mad and angry and I just like couldn't accept that like the person people that wronged me like couldn't like admit it and like I like acknowledged like in this like I think we can all acknowledge to some capacity that like anger and sadness and all that like any type of apology doesn't make that go away it's like an internal work that you have to do like you need to be able to forgive without getting the sorry you know what I mean but for me it was like I almost felt like because no one was validating my experience that like by holding on to it I was the only person that was validating it so it's like if I let it go like it didn't exist it didn't happen like if I let it go like no one is going to acknowledge the hardship I went through. And that's such a like internal lie that we tell ourselves. It's like such a toxic, intrusive thought that just is not valid. It's not real. Like that's not the truth at all. Mm -hmm. Because like that's holding you back from major freedom. Yeah. I mean, I had this where like I was living in victim mode. And I know that that's like such a taboo or like, interesting topic and not a lot of people in the trauma space talk about this because then they're like oh well you're victim shaming and all this stuff and I'm like look I can go on and on and on about the things that have happened to me yeah. and how I've been a victim of sexual assault and abuse and all this stuff but like the minute someone tells me that they're like that I'm a victim of something it immediately takes the power out of my hands and into the other person's hands right So like even in trauma recovery, even in, you know, sexual assault, all this stuff, like that was a big wake up call for me to be like, okay, I'm taking the power back and this thing happened to me, but it does not have to be part of my identity. It doesn't have to be the driver. Right. Yeah. Like I remember going around and being like having this kind of internal, like badass Beyonce bitch vibes, like, because I'm like, you don't know what happened to me. And like, this was the (laughs) thing that drove, like, but it was like, yeah this was a thing that drove a lot of the way that I showed up in life. And the minute someone was like, you actually don't have to live here. This doesn't need to be the thing that's driving you to, to do all the things you want to do. I was like, Oh, how do you do that? And it's like, well, you get out of victim mode and you go into like creator mode. Like, what do you want your life to look like? How do you want it to flow? Like, how do you, who do you want to surround yourself with? And you know, most people, but it's like a really hard hard wake-up call and I remember people talking about this I don't know four years ago when I was in my like physical healing crisis and I was like they just don't get it they -hmm. just don't get it and I'm like no they they do get it and they've experienced it it has to be in your own time that kind of like realization I think we all have our like high of the healing journey then we're in like victim mode for a bit and you're Mm -hmm. right a lot of people don't get out of it And like, cause it is one of the hardest parts of the healing journey is like getting out of that victim mentality because you kind of have to drop your ego, look in the mirror and be like, yeah, I wasn't like the creator of these situations. Or maybe like, it wasn't like, I obviously didn't ask for these things to happen to me, but I am now an adult. And like, when am I going to stop blaming? And when am I going to stop being so angry? And when am I going to actually just stop wasting my life, like complaining and actually just take ownership for like the, I don't know, the power I have now to create and change the rest of my life. And that's, yeah, that's hard because yeah, go are, off, girl. <laughs> yes. No, but it's true. And it's, I, I feel like you're making just such a great point because people don't like to hear that. 
They mm-hmm. don't like to hear like, oh, like I'm a victim. Like I'm a victim. Like, what do you mean I'm being a victim? It's like, well, well exactly that. Like I had so much anger around it and I'm like, oh, I just wasn't ready to hear that message. You know, I love, do you follow the balance blonde? No. Oh wait. Oh, baby. That sounds so Jordan, familiar. Jordan Younger. She has like a similar kind of health journey. And I remember her talking about victim mode and being like so triggered by her talking about it. But I'm like, she's right. Like mm-hmm. she is 1000% right. Like there's a difference between waking up every day and being like, what was me? This happened to me. Oh my God. And I'm not saying that like, you do need to acknowledge your feelings, right? Like that is part of the process. But when you stay there longer than you need to, it's like, it's perpetuating this identity that this is what you have. And you can't do these things because this is what you have. Like if I stayed there, I wouldn't be talking to you today. I wouldn't be running a business. I'd probably still be in the IV room. Like Mm -hmm. being a victim of my circumstance. Like, honestly, I wouldn't have found another way to heal chronic Lyme without like changing that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I think people like actually forget how powerful our thoughts and like placement in life is. And I think that is, I mean, something I've talked to you about and like I talk about on my platform all the time is like affirmations, like how important Mm. that's been as a part of my healing journey, just like affirming against my intrusive thoughts and like the things that I've believed about myself for so long. But to the opposite point, like people don't realize how much they're like negative affirming themselves all the time. Yes. Like negatively affirming 24 seven. Like I have this issue. This happened to me. Therefore I'm this way. There's no way I'm not going to be triggered by this anymore because this is what happened to me. How are you supposed to break these thoughts if you don't try to, you know, interrupt them with some positivity? But I think it's, it's really powerful. Like this conversation and not a lot of people want to have it. Because they're Mm -hmm. scared that like they're going to get hate or people are going to be upset. But it's like, if you're triggered by this conversation, by us being like, I feel like if you're triggered, like you should like look. Yeah. Your triggers show you an unhealed part of yourself. Exactly. Oh, that's good. Because I feel like every time I'm triggered, I'm now try to like match it with curiosity because I'm like, why am I triggered? If, especially if it's, it's not like actually like an insulting situation happening. Like yeah, if, right. like, like nothing is really, it's not that serious. Like nothing is really about you most of the time. And yes. like, we live so in our heads that it's like, if something triggers me or like, for instance, if this victim conversation is triggering, I feel like I would have to be like, why am I upset right now? Like, am I yeah. living too much in a victim mentality? And that's essentially what happened to me. I felt like I wasn't moving forward in my journey. Like I was just so angry. My family would call me, I'm angry. And like, they're actually like, I love them. And like a lot of my trauma is associated with my family dynamic, but like they're trying, we're all trying, but like, there's just some stuff that like is not ever going to be fixed and that's okay. And I don't need to like hold on to like so much anger and like make myself sick just to quote unquote validate something that like totally. is so unnecessarily like needing validation. Like get over yeah. it, Anna. We need to move past. No, but I think that's a really good point because, you know, people do run over this kind of like people I think think it's like woo-woo to, F- to affirm yourself. Yeah. But really it is like if you're living, you know, you have 6,000 thoughts a day. 95% of them are not conscious and 5% of them are. So those 95% are made from ages zero through seven. Wow. So – Those things that have happened to you are like a record player playing all the time. And you're only conscious of 5% of them, right? 
So if you can try to change the 5% by an affirmation, it's going to influence the 95 just by default, right? So it's like, yeah, maybe it looks silly or cliche or woo-woo to put an affirmation up on your wall, but you're subconsciously seeing that affirmation all the time. That's going to yeah. change your brain. Like it's going to change your brain. It's going to change the way you think about yourself. And I remember like not believing the affirmations that I put up on my wall, but then like over time you're like, oh no, I am, you know, X, Y, and Z, or this is what's yeah. happening. And it does change it. Yeah. And going back to your point, like it's exercising, you're like helping your brain and your thoughts and your mind and the way you live. You're just constantly exercising these new things. And eventually it's going to embed, it's going to stick. Um, yeah. It's like working out. It. Yeah. What you are- hate squatting, but then like eventually you start to see muscle. And so you're like, okay, I guess this is working. Yeah. And it's, I feel like, you know, obviously like this takes time, this takes dedication. This takes like a lot of energy. And this is why this is like, this can be an exhausting process, but sometimes I'm like surprised sometimes at myself and how like quickly I do like adapt to something that I thought was going to take longer. For example, like this isn't even like a mental one, but like I like started running again and I was like, I just want to run again. Like I love just like once or twice a week, I just want to start running. And, um, it was so hard at first, like so hard, so hard at first. And literally after like four weeks, I was like that once a week running club has become so like so much easier. And it really was this beautiful metaphor that just like made me think like, wow, like this like really applies to the healing journey as well. Like you really, when you're really dedicated to doing something and you want to do something, just implementing it on like a weekly basis and like really giving yourself love in that way and support in that way. Like things actually like happen a lot quicker than you think they are going to. Yeah. You know, another thing I would say is that if you feel like you're getting burnt out in your healing journey, do something for someone else. I love that. So whether it's like you see a homeless person and you want to give them like a granola bar or you see you need to phone a friend or you want to write them a letter, like that's going to help you get outside of your own brain. I remember like early on someone telling me that and I was like, oh, that's great because when you're so focused on yourself and not from like a narcissistic or like conceited way, but like you're just so in it, it's always nice to be like, oh, there are other people that like I can, yeah, it just, it just allows you to take a minute outside of yourself. I would say. I love that. Yeah. I've been hearing, I feel like I've been hearing that a lot lately. Like when, really, and like uh, Ed Milet, do you listen to him? No, I love him though. I'm obsessed. But he recently said something about serving others. And like, when you feel like down, like serve others. And then I heard another podcaster say it too. And I was like, this is like a sign. Like I I don't take this lightly, (laughs) especially since this isn't like a popular thing to say. Um, And so I've heard it a lot this last like month. And so I've been really Mm -hmm. trying to like pour into people around me and like really try to be there for people when I can. And it has provided me with like not only like the good fuzzy feeling like you get when you help someone else, but it allows you to really flex a lot of empathy for like the people in your life. And like when you're listening to someone you care about, talk about like their past or talk about like what they're going through and like why it's kind of all happening and connecting, you can kind of look at it and be like, wow, like not only can I have empathy for maybe the people that I have hold a little bit of resentment against, but I can have empathy for myself and like what I've been through too. And like be proud of myself for a moment for like where I'm at or where I'm trying to be, even if you're in the midst of it and you think that you're not where you should be. 
Yeah. And it builds tolerance too. Like exactly what you're saying. If you're like having that empathy for someone that maybe you don't have a great past with or whatnot, and you're coming at it from a different angle, like that's a great way to test your healing, right? Like mm-hmm. is to be like, Ooh, how much tolerance do I have with this person? And where do, where do I need to go next? Right? Yeah. Like that's always such a great, great thing. Or even just smiling at people. I love that. Making you know, people feel like, seen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. What would you say to someone who's maybe listening to the episode right now? And they're like, yes, like I resonate. Like, I feel like maybe I have a little bit of victim mentality happening right now. Like I really want to get out. I just don't know how, like, it's so Mm -hmm. intense. I'm so upset. Like, what are some like tangible things that people can do from home to just really start like moving the dial in that way? I would say the first thing is acknowledging it. I think that's the biggest and hardest thing is actually going, oh, I'm living in victim mode. Yeah. Because we just like, we might say it, you know, we might think it or it might be triggering, but we're like, no, that's not us. And so I think just acknowledging that to like a trusted partner or a trusted friend, or maybe you have a coach or a therapist and just being like, I think this is where I am, you know, so that you can just, someone else can hear that. And you can also hear it come out of your own mouth. Like that was a big thing. I remember saying it to my husband and he was like, I love you. You know, like he was just he was like, like, I'm not going to say you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I love you. You know, like, so helpful. but yeah. yeah, I think it's just actually acknowledging it. And then the second thing is, is like getting support on how you can build your identity outside of whatever you've gone through. I love that. I think that yeah. also like seeing it as like a point of hope, like yes. you can acknowledge it. Like instead of feeling bad, because I feel like for me, like the moment I kind of realized I was living in like the victim mentality, I went through like a, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've been doing that. So pathetic. But instead of being so hard on ourselves, I think just being able to be like, wow, like this is like a moment of hope now because like I'm really Mm -hmm. moving the dial. Because the moment that I did that, now looking back, like the moment that I was able to finally say like, I've been living in victim mode, like it is time to move on. It is time yes. to push is the moment that everything changed for me. Like yes. it was like everything I had learned, everything I was trying to implement and really exercising and practicing finally just got like mushed together. Like it was like amazing. And I think like there's a hope that comes with it too, that you can really focus on instead of focusing on like the shame of it. Yeah. I mean, people definitely go into a shame spiral because they're like, oh, I wish I knew that sooner. Or, oh my goodness. I wish that I st- didn't stay here longer, but like, it's part of it. So I would just say acknowledging it and then doing something that brings you joy after you like acknowledge it. Right. Because then it helps to kind of move the shame spiral and moving your body in some kind of way, some kind of like somatic way, whether that's shaking yeah. or yeah, whatever that looks like for you. So kind of going off of the topic a little bit, just to like a little more, I'm going to use you a bit since this is like our okay. one-on-one, <laughs> um, just a few more tangible examples that you would like tell clients, like how do you move from like anger and resentment? Like what are some ways that you can kind of like actually reshape like in your head? Like, I don't want to feel angry about this situation or at this person anymore. How can you like channel out of that and like move away yeah. from anger and resentment? Well, you have to move it out of the body, right? If you have anger and resentment, it typically shows up in your jaw, in your forehead. So right here, people will have like a bump. Like people get Botox for this shit. 
but like people will have a bump right here and if you can cry these are suppressed tears y'all like i'm not shitting wow like i will have i'll start to get a bump and i'll be like oh my god i need to go release i need to go use my tools but i would say like if you've never expressed anger before you have to do it somehow whether that is like literally sitting at the end of your bed when no one's home and like screaming into a pillow and punching the bed or something if it's getting up and like shaking like a lot of people will just kind of like shake out like this and bringing sound so whenever you move trauma out of the body you want breath sound and movement okay okay so those are the three things that you want and especially like so many women have repressed anger it is wild the amount of women that come to me and then they're I'm like you're angry and they're like no I'm not I'm actually really happy I'm like really you're like, and then are like, you <laughs> yeah and then we'll like do an exercise and they're like oh my god I was so angry and that was me like I never thought that I was an angry individual until I started doing the body piece of trauma recovery and I'm like oh like it scared me how much anger I had I need to book a one-on-one and like unpack this a bit because I'd like to experience Let's do it I haven't done a lot of like that kind of therapy before and I feel like it would really help me because I've done a lot of yeah. talk I've yep. intellectualized a lot and I've I know I can tell I love it no I know I think it's really helpful but I'm like I'm like you know so much which is incredible thank you I yeah. I'm really and you've done a lot of work I have and I'm like really proud and I've been able I feel like it's taken me a long way to actually be able to be like I'm proud of myself and I am yeah. but like yeah again, the healing journey never stops. And like, I am on like a healing high and like everyone who experiences healing, especially when you're in a place of like such darkness for so long, like I just want more. It's hard, but like, it's always worth it in the end. And it's what I try to like talk about all the time. It's what I try to tell people on the podcast, on socials, in person, like it's worth it. And I'm like, I want more. And this sounds like fun. I need to hit a pillow or something or like, (laughs) do some crazy shit like this yes yeah when people come in they feel like they're like they feel really different like I just had a client we were working on zoom and she was like oh my god I can't believe that I feel like a relief from doing these like certain exercises and I was like yeah because you're holding on to so much anger yeah yeah and I feel like too like a lot of it is just from our childhood and trauma but like what are your thoughts because I have a lot of thoughts on just like generational trauma too like, mm, like, so real. How, are you like big? Do you talk about that with your clients? Cause it's something for me that I feel like it's no coincidence that like my parents struggle with the same type of insecurities that I struggle with for different reasons, but like very yep. interesting. Yeah. So there's like epigenetics, right? So like, and I'll just use this, like, for example, like if your grandma was in the, the depression in the twenties yeah, and then her that stress changes her genes which then change your mom genes which then change your genes right so you're gonna have the same anxieties worries about money around scarcity around all these things and a lot of the times it's like discerning what is yours and what is someone else in your families and also like nervous system wise right like you pattern to your parents your nervous system patterns to your parents from like The moment that like even before birth, right? So if your parents, if your mom especially was like stressed out and upset and worried while you were in utero, like that changes your nervous system. And then when they're stressed out when you're, you know, ages zero through seven and beyond, like you're always benchmarking your nervous system against theirs. Wow. Yeah. 
So like if they're stressed and you're a little helper all the time or you're a little mom or little dad, like that's going to, that pattern is going to show up because yeah, it's so true. And then you, that's why people are like, oh my God, I'm becoming my parents. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Because <laughs> you think that that's how it's supposed to go because your nervous system is comfortable with how theirs is regulated, which totally. is probably not regulated. Right. I feel like a lot of people think this is like not woo-woo shit. Yeah, I was gonna say, how are yeah. we calling this? Like woo-woo, woo-woo, but yeah. like woo-woo bullshit. Like people think like this is not real, and like there are people who have studied this, and like this is. I love that people are talking about it more, but I think yeah. first reaction to the, to this kind of like information is like, oh, this is woo-woo bullshit. But like, do your research, and like I know that help, especially for someone like me who likes to like intellectualize everything. Like I, yeah. I, I like going online and like reading tons of articles. Like there's so much like real good like science backed up stuff on this and like it's just crazy and I feel like it not only has allowed me to be like okay this makes sense like connect the dots but it's very like I don't know it lightens the burden slightly when you're doing your healing like you can like address the things that have happened to you of course I think there's a lot of stuff that like we get of course from childhood trauma like the way we're raised the situations we're in but there is some stuff that like is not from you And like, sometimes it can kind of lighten the burden and be like, oh, like this is my family history. And like, this is how I Mm -hmm. feel. This is how my mom has felt. A big one, especially for women is, um, body image, right? Yes. Yeah. You grew up in a home where your mom's constantly dieting and she's berating her body and she's picking at it. And then she gets, you know, like body work done, all this stuff. Like you're going to be picking on your body all the time because that's what you're seeing. Like Mm -hmm. that's generational pain right there. And then she probably got that from her mom, right? Who got it from, right? Like this is generational pain, generational trauma, like all of it. And you know, like the generational trauma piece is like, I would say that's more generational pain with the, the body image piece of it. But yeah, I mean, it's because your nervous system is patterned to hers, which then says, pick on yourself, pick on yourself, pick on yourself, because that's how you find like control. This is where the empathy part comes in, because you get to like really have this moment, at least for me, like where I like notice these things and like my fi- family dynamic. And I was able to be like, like, I don't know, I was able to be like, you know, I'm mad and I'm angry, but like they didn't know better either. And like, I get to be empowered and this is just like a very positive way to look at it. But I feel like this journey is really hard. And sometimes you kind of have to force yourself into these like positive revelations of like, I get to be the person to like flip the switch. Break the generation. Yeah. Yeah. But there's always like the generation, the person that breaks generational stuff is always um, alienated. For sure. I've had to realize and come to the realization that like I can only have healthy relationships with these people moving forward. If I like worry about like what I can like do and what I can control instead of trying to control everybody else's thoughts and like how everybody else sees it. Like I just need to, I feel like realizing you have to just like meet people where they're at. And like, that's been really freeing for me because like when I was trying so hard to like fight, like, or them, change them or change them, yeah. try to get them to see the way I see things the way I see them. It does cause a bit of turmoil and alienation. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. sometimes I think it's good to like push back. I'm definitely yeah. that girl. 
But I think you kind of have to hit a point where you're like, if you want to have a relationship with these people, for me, in my case, like I really do. Like I, there's a lot of hurt there, but I do. I want to like hold on to relationships. I really want to try to like not have to cut people out of my life if I can. And an easy, yeah. healthy way to do that is just like having just an understanding that you can be the change maker, but you can't make other people like see things the way you see it if they're not willing to. And you just kind of have to meet people where they're at and, you know, uphold some health, like put some healthy boundaries up for yourself and like just honor yourself in that way. Yeah. I also think for anyone out there though, because I want to speak on this, I think it's a good point is that there are though people that like have to break off from their family. Yeah. You know, because their family isn't doing the work or it's unhealthy or it's just like a toxic environment. So if you are listening to this and you're like, oh, I have a different experience, like also know that everyone's different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. But I'm, I love that you have like been able to have that experience because that's, I feel like that is more, more rare. I think that, um, I think that like, I really pushed hard on at least for people who listening who like you don't know if you can have a relationship or not like this was something I really went back and forth with like yeah I I really like during kind of the height I was like I don't know if I can handle this anymore like I don't know if I can handle being triggered all the freaking time you know what I mean like it's just hard And like, I feel like I'm not being respected. I feel like my boundaries aren't being respected. And I realized, and it was something my coach said to me, but really just like changed the dial for me on things in this way is like, you're the one, at least for me, like talking to myself, like you're the one not respecting your boundaries. Like you've placed a boundary up and like, you're the one that's letting it slide. Like, why are you, you're being deregulated by someone because you're letting them like get through a boundary that you put up. Like you're lowering it down, even though you put it up. So I think like being able to like do the work, see where you need to put up these boundaries with maybe people that you struggle with, people that have hurt you in the past and not move them. You don't have to like unhealthy therapy, talk them and be like, this is my boundary. Like that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. But, like, hold a boundary and, like, if someone doesn't respect it or, like, a situation is invading it, like, step off. Like, it's your boundary. Like, if you're not going to respect it, who is? Yeah, so I, was, I love that. Yeah, so I realized, like, oh, my gosh. Like, no, they're not respecting my boundary. They're not respecting my boundary. And I realized I was actually the one that wasn't respecting my boundary. And the moment that I did that, and it, it sounds kind of like – um like almost like I'm punching people, but I don't mean it in this way. Like if the boundary yeah. wasn't being respected, like I just removed myself and I just yeah. kept removing myself. And I told myself that like, if this person doesn't try to like work on this, even though I feel like almost they're not capable. And a lot of people feel this way. They're like, I just, I don't want to lose the relationship, but like, I'm not sure they're capable of like mm-hmm. respecting my boundary. I think when you I- actually flex it, you find out. Like who's yeah. gonna like move and morph to yeah. like what you're doing? Yeah, I know. I think that that's a good point too. Is like the boundary piece because most people are like, oh, well, I try to set a boundary with my family, but it doesn't work. And I'm like, so what happened? And then it's like, oh no, they actually didn't set a boundary. It's like people think they're bad at setting boundaries, but really it's because it just hasn't been respected, right? Like respected yeah. in terms of like you holding the boundary, yes. saying like oh, this is my, like you go to a family party and you're like, okay, in your head, you're like, my boundary is X, Y, and Z. And then if that happens, you're going to be like, okay, 
exactly what you're saying. Like remove yourself from the situation yeah, and then let like, and then you process it on your own time because the only person you can change is yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm more talking about like family dynamics that are so toxic that like sometimes you, have you do to have remove. to break off from them. Yeah. yeah. Like I there agree. is that, right? Yeah. The situation is so specific. Like there's just no mending and like the healthiest yeah. choice is to move yourself. And I think that's why like getting a coach, like talking to people, like having support in that way, if, even if it's like, maybe you don't have the resources to like have an actual therapist or coach, but maybe like you have a friend you really trust or like there's someone yeah. you can turn to, to really run this stuff by like, sometimes that is the best option and we just need someone to talk it out with and like feel support in that way. And, um, I think like sorting this stuff out with someone you trust, especially if you can get a coach is just so imperative, especially for me. Like, I feel like I need it. It's changed me for sure. In the beginning, for sure. It was like, you need that. You need someone that like can help hold you accountable that knows the tools and can help move you through it and be like, you're not alone in this. And this is normal. Cause most of the time it doesn't feel normal, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So good. I love it. Thank I feel like we you. could talk forever. I know. You're so I'll have you back. I'll have to have vote. you back on. <laughs> yes. I'd love to be back on. Thank you for having me. Of course. I have two things left for you. So I think we've touched yes. on this a bit, but just in case, like there's something else we can add. Um, what are three easy things people can do to change their mental health? Number one is acknowledge your emotions. So like literally acknowledge your emotions. Number two is to get in your body whatever that looks like for you. Like it can even even be like an acupressure point, right? So between your thumb and your forefinger, just like squeezing this point and just like saying something like I'm here right now. Like I always Grounding tell people if they yourself. have a lot. Yeah. But I always tell people like if they have a lot of anxiety, just follow where your feet are, right? If you're in the office, your feet are in the office. This is where you are. Like just follow where your feet are. And the last thing I would say is, you know, work on, processing the emotions out of your body. Like the anger is a huge thing in our society, just in general, that becomes passive aggressiveness, that becomes, you know, angsty TikToks, that becomes like big headlines. Like if, if all of us can really process our anger out, our world would be radically different. Yeah. And I always say to you, like our communication would be different. We'd get along with people more. Yes. Because it wouldn't be coming from this like pent up resentment. Totally. It's really, it's sad and it sucks, but I guess it's a part of the human experience and the best we can do is just try our best and like listen to podcasts, try new things, push ourselves in ways that we haven't before. Um, But I love that. I absolutely love that. It's funny because like I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm so like, I'm so into healing. I'm so into trying new things. And I just like can't picture myself like hitting a pillow or something in my bedroom. Like it makes me feel dumb. Like, what would you say to me? Like, I just like, do I just like, do I just take the pillow and like hit it? I would say to you, like that would be a really cool somatic experience moment where I would be like, what is holding you back from feeling that emotion of anger? So there's something there, whether it's like you've been told you can't have anger and I don't know, right? Yeah. Whether you've been like shamed for having anger, whether someone was like, that's not girly, that's not cool, you can't do that, blah, 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 whatever. That sounds all about right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like you're a good coach, Allie. That sounds about right. I'm just like trauma dumping on my pod audience. (laughs) 
<laughs> but uh, I think that like it is. There's like a piece of us yeah. that like doesn't want to access anger because we've been told like that's not a healthy emotion for a woman to have specifically, right? Yeah. Well, and I think this goes all back to the point, and I think it's one of the most important parts of this healing journey, I like to call it, is just like stay curious. Like if you feel cringed out and icked out by something or you're not trying something that like a professional is telling you like this actually works, like try it. If you're like, no, I can't, like why? And like that helps a lot. Yeah. Okay. So good. I ask every podcast guest that comes on the podcast, looking back at your childhood, everything you've been through, like honestly, I want to affirm you too. Like you're so freaking strong, like everything you've been through and like the battle you've been through to get here. Like, I just want to acknowledge like how strong and amazing, like your story is, uh, looking back on it and just like where you are now, this like coach, like, how do you see it? How do you see the journey? How do you see everything that you've been through? Oh, it makes me want to cry. Um, yeah, I didn't think I'd get emotional, but like I don't, that's such a good question, Hannah. I don't even know how to like. It's a big question. It's a big question. Also feel free to cry. We don't need a bump (laughs) on the forehead. (laughs) I'm just thinking. I love it. You're so good. Um, I would say looking back that what's meant for you will find you. I think like, especially when you've gone through like developmental trauma and just you know, trauma or emotional pain in general, there's like a feeling like you're behind and that like you have to catch up and you have to keep on grinding and you have to make it and you have to be this way and you have to, you know, and you're behind and blah, blah, blah. Like these are the things that happen, right? Yeah. And like whatever is meant for you is going to find you. Like that's what I would tell little Allie. That's what I would tell, you know, Allie five years ago, three years ago, two years ago. Like it's all going to work out and it might not be exactly how you plan it. It can be like even better. Yeah. I love that. I love what you said that. Cause I think as someone who's been through, you know, a shit storm as well. And I think like, again, like it's all relative, like everybody's journey is valid. Like no matter how small or big, like you think your trauma or whatever is. And I think like we can question a lot of times, like can get into this selfish mindset of like, why me? Like this sucks. Like, why me? Like, why did I have to go through this? And I think like turning around the way you just said and just being like, there's a reason this happened to me. And I'm now in a place where like, I'm coaching and impacting people's lives and like just yeah. trying to turn the darkness into light. That sounds so dumb, yeah. but you know, yeah. here we are. No, I mean, it's so true. <laughs> and like you, we didn't even talk about this, but like little T versus, versus big T traumas, like no one goes unscathed. Yeah. Right. Whether you don't think that you have a little T trauma or a big T trauma, it's like you've, everyone's been through something. Like no one goes unscathed. I love that. So it's just a reminder. You matter. Your life matters. Yes. And work on your mental health because you are in the relationship longest with yourself. So so good. Yeah. You're the most intimate relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. I love it. Thank you so much, Allie. I appreciate Thank you coming on. Thank you for having on, me. Getting real yeah, it's and raw. Been so great. I love it. I'm love always it. down for it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope you leave here feeling motivated and inspired. Do not forget to rate and review the pod on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And don't forget to follow How I See It Pod so you can keep up with podcast updates and see who's coming on next. And if you're not already, come join the fam and follow at How Hand Sees It. Thank you guys. <laughs>